I'm Justin Peterson. And I'm Brian Lee. Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast, where we traverse the rich historical legacy of voice training from the greatest minds and teachers of the art. Each episode features lively conversation, fascinating historical insights, and practical application for today's singer. Hey Brian, how's it going? Oh, good. How are you, Justin? Good. Did you have a good Did you have a good holiday? Did you have a good New Year? I did. I had a a good and quiet New Year. Uh before the wildness that came the week after. I mean, roller coaster. Get oh onto it. Gosh. Get into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I we don't want to talk about it a whole bunch today. No, no, uh, no. cuz you know, <clears throat> but wow, this uh We've had a week. Yeah, this this first week for the US was quite something. You know, day 7 was like hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. You thought 2020 was fun, kids? Ooh, We're this, 7 days in. I'm like, this, do can we cancel our trial subscription now? I'm like I want to cancel over, my 7. Yeah. 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 I'm like this, where, what number do I call to cancel my 7-day subscription to the uh, Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't charge my card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, yeah, here we are. But <laughs> yes, indeed. But one of the things I wanted to share with you off the top of the hour, and obviously we can, and as on all things, we can expand on this as we go along. But I wanted to share that I got a really great book for uh, Christmas from my family. So thanks, family, for the great Christmas present. Mm. Um, I got Kari Reagan's really great little book, A Systematic Approach to Voice, The Artist oh. Studio Application. Nice. Um, because you know me, I'm big on application. Yes. I'm big on application. And I know you are too. But I started reading this book, and I thought it was really a great little book. And it's done in a systematic way, sort of like Richard Miller's work, right, Structure of Singing, which Mm -hmm. is set up in those sort of different, like, well, here, let's talk about resonance. Let's talk about registration. Let's talk about phonation. Let's talk about articulation. Mm -hmm. So she sort of parses it out like that. Um, And she makes the uh, argument for her work in um, uh, research-based, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Evidence-based. Evidence-based vocal pedagogy, right? So. Yep. Really great. She makes really great points. Um, and I've really enjoyed reading this book uh, this week. And, you know, one of the things you and I talk about is we're, we're the old school guard of like, mm, tricks. Meh. Yeah. She, she sort of addresses <laughs> that in the book a little bit. Okay. But, you know, I've been doing some thinking about this. And my opinion is obviously not fully formed on this yet. But one of the things that I know you and I have talked about with, with regard to Herbert Witherspoon, who we have a great uh, affinity for and, and respect and admiration for, yep. Herbert Witherspoon was always a teacher who was saying, get the behavior so that the student has the experience of yeah. what it means to sing correctly. Yeah. And that a teacher's job, ultimately, is to get the correct behavior, whether that comes through, in a very rudimentary sense, yes. a letting go of attention someplace, or a tensing of something else that needs to be more active, right? And I hate the word tension, because obviously people connote it with you know, negative tension or whatever. But yeah. you know, ultimately, that's what vocal exercises do. You either are working to relieve attention someplace, or you're working to put some proper muscular activity and tension, mm-hmm. in quote, quotation yeah. marks, in. Yeah. So one of the things that has struck me with her work with these, and I hate to use the, I hate to use this word tricks because I don't think that's what they are, facilitation tools. Let's just call them that. Okay. Okay. Is that she's sort of working in parallel with a lot of what Herbert Witherspoon's logic was, which is to get the singer to have a particular awareness of something, uh-huh. so that they can then codify that experience as part of the totality of what it is to sing. Ah, uh, cool. So it sounds like she. So is. Did you, I say, confess I haven't read her book yet. Yeah. 
So, so she she is saying that what what she's trying to do with, uh, and I assume we're talking about things like some physical props and sure. certain non singing yep. activities. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so the idea is that you that, that you elicit some kind of uh, experience, and then from there, clues can be had about why it's an improvement. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Rather than saying, "Oh, this is a magic rubber ball," and right. if you if you sing balancing on the ball, um, you know it's going to make you sing better, and you can't, yes. and you have to have the ball to do this because it's a magic ball. It's a magic ball. I mean, yes. not that people really yes. believe it's a magic ball, but when they're never given a reason why the hell they're doing something that's no. not singing to make their singing better, it does lead one to wonder what's the point. That's right. I'm going to footnote that here and, and come back to what we're talking about here. Okay. But I call things like that Dumbo's feather. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Right? So if you've seen Dumbo 1940, the whole premise is that this, this cute little elephant thinks he can fly because he's holding a feather. Mm-hmm. And so his whole concept of his skill is built on the fact that he has this talisman. Mm-hmm. And he can hold on to this feather and I can fly. Well, it's not until the climax of the film that he's barreling towards the earth, towards a little you know tub of, of water... And the feather comes out of his trunk that he, that little um, mouse, Timothy Mouse, I can remember this because I'm a Disney fan, he <laughs> is in his little hat and he goes, you can fly, you can fly, you know, trying to basically encourage him that he can do this. Mm-hmm. And so the, the little elephant realizes, oh, I can fly without the feather, but mm-hmm. I could always fly without the feather. And so my whole issue with, let's say, what we could call pejoratively tricks mm-hmm. is that it may lead to a false sense of what it means to fly. That it may give the elephant the wrong concept of what's really going on and how they can fly. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she's prefacing that way. And, and I would come back to the discussion to say she really wins my heart at the beginning when mm-hmm. she says there are no magic exercises. Mm, good. And I think that's such an important point to make because, again, we put faith in an exercise that yeah. may not work for everyone. And so – yes. That is dangerous territory to build uh, any method, any methodology of teaching upon. Yeah, right. It's like, oh well, you must sing the exercises that Madam X gave me in you know the nineteen twenties, and then you will be the perfect singer, and everything will be fine. Yeah. You know, this sort of prescribed uh, set method. Yeah, which is not individual whatsoever. You know, it's built for a crowd, not for a person, right? Yeah, and what irony, since since mm-hmm. voice is taught one-on-one, there's so much opportunity to customize the instruction. Totally. I mean, unlimited potential. Totally. Which is one, it's why it's so fun. And it's so crazy that some teachers put everyone through the same mill. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's just because they want to get to the rep. I, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But I have to say, the Kari Reagan's book is really great. And it was actually really charming because... In reading back over the Witherspoon again, when Herbert Witherspoon was using the arms to bring attention to the suspension of the breath uh-huh, and the uh-huh. movement of the ribcage, that yeah. he uses the arms to sort of be a corollary of awareness so that the singer becomes more aware of things moving in the torso. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really heartening to see in a different sort of variation, Kari puts in this resistance band over the head uh, exercise. Oh, wow. Which is... Part to me, part and parcel of the same exact pedagogical aim, mm-hmm. which is to bring uh, awareness to the singer's use of their body while they are making sound. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of fun having students sort of do that. I mean, I was always already sort of doing the Herbert Witherspoon arm work to just bring awareness, mm-hmm. but it's nice to see it in that context. And it's been very uh, 
fun to see students have new experiences of long tones while having the arms above the head and feeling what's going on in the rib cage as the air is depleted. Mm-hmm. So it's it, again, I think it, the tool is a means to an experience that the student can then conceptualize and then take off like a training wheel, which is honestly what I'm, what Herbert Witherspoon's whole pedagogy is built upon that. Idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he's always saying we want to get to the vowels. We want to get to ah. We want to go to the perfect tone. Sure. Uh, and so he's using consonants to get there. He's using um, certain vowels to get to a particular place. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's a really great continuation of what we love, which is applied pedagogy. Well, that's neat. That's yeah. great. Well, thank you for that. that yeah, yeah, yeah. Part. So yeah. it's a really, I, rec- I like it a lot. I recommend it. As again, it is not a science tome. Let me just put that out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kari isn't saying, I'm going to con- convince you of the theory of my, you know, what, that's not her point. And we have to draw a line between the practical applicator of vocal technique and the vocal scientist who's looking at laboratory things. Yeah. You know, this pervasive muddling of the water here is, you know, that if a teacher's, for example, pedagogy like this, you know, well, if she's using a particular kind of information or, you know, something that's not scientifically, kept, you know, perfect. Well, and. Yeah. The Duomo was built with no technology of computers. What are you going to say about it? Like, (laughs) beautiful things can be built without recourse to our modern knowledge. Yeah. We can do wonderful things without having the latest state-of-the-art knowledge about something. Yeah. And that's not to denigrate it, but it's merely to put it in its proper context. So I have to just get off my high horse about that. Cool. Anyway, you know me. Feelings. I have them. Nice. They're so gross. (laughs) Feelings are like treasures, so bury them. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. One oh, man's trash, yoy. another, you know. Yes, exa- exactly. Yeah. One man's trash is another man's treasure. That's exactly right. Oh, my goodness. Well, what should we should we continue our discussion of Herbert Witherspoon? Speaking of Herbert Witherspoon. Yeah. Should we do more Let's do that. More so fancies? We are proposing looking at uh, number 11 through 20. Right. Of of his chapter nine uh, points, which he calls fads and fancies in the teaching of right. singing. So, and if people have never joined us, this is from his nineteen twenty five book, Singing. Yes, and which you can is hear not the, in print. The first ten are in a previous episode, right? Uh, with Witherspoon in the title, so check it out. Um, yeah, so number eleven. Shall I start yeah, go for it. with the recitation portion? Use <laughs> yes, your holy scripture, please. Okay, number eleven is the fad that a soprano should never develop good, healthy lower tones. Oh boy, it's, that's a. There you go, Brian. Go for it. Yeah, well, well, this is it's interesting because uh, this is part of where in this day and age we see the great classical versus commercial music divide, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in that, uh, you know, an awful lot of popular styles, of course, use strong chest elements in the singing and, and take chest up and, and have healthy lower tones. But uh, here he does say that a soprano shouldn't have never developed good, healthy lower tones. And that sort of feeds into in the classical schools, how um, and I've I've seen this a lot. It still happens a lot uh, that classical young women with high voices yes. are never taught very. I don't feel sufficiently to develop the lower part. Right. Um, and the uh, 
the i.e., what the chest voice or the the modal voice or the mm-hmm. the thick voice uh, <laughs> if you're doing the the old thick thin thing, but um, yeah, I think it's vital that that all people, all humans, whether they be sopranos or not, uh, need to have a well developed chest voice, and I think that having the lower register well developed and strong with a great coordination throughout the rest of the voice mm-hmm. helps the whole voice come alive. Well, you know what? Can I throw some historical facts in your face? Please. Okay. So I am of the opinion that that uh, this assertion about this fad is complete bollocks, mm, to use my British. Mancini, okay, who we like as one of the early writers on, on vocal techniques, said there is not a method more sure to obtain this end, which is the chest voice, than to have such a little voice sing in the chest for a time. The exercise should be done with a tranquil solfeggio, and as the voice enriches with greater body, body being the operative term, corpo, more mm-hmm. body of the sound, and mm-hmm. range, one may blend it as much as possible with the low notes of the head register. Yeah, yeah. And Garcia, too, numero deux, said in the 19th century, as we have said, the chest register is generally denied or rejected by teachers. Yeah. Not that one could not draw from its application an immense advantage, nor that the suppression of the range which it embraces would not derive the singer of the most beautiful dramatic effects or the most favorable contrasts. And then Reynaldo Hahn, who wrote that beautiful French repertoire that we know and love so much, yeah. said, quote, all the great female singers have used the chest voice in the low register. Nothing is weaker more woeful, duller, and more distressing than the mixed register used below F4. Yes. Many teachers today say that if the mixed voice is correctly placed, it can replace the chest voice. Never, never can this be a true substitute. Yeah. Thank you, Ronaldo. And there's actually some great videos on YouTube um, by some obsessed people illustrating <laughs> that, showing, uh, going back to recordings. You can even hear it with the old technology, the sort of different approach to chest in especially in Italian opera uh, than you have today by so-called international singers uh, at the in the in the a houses it's it's a really different approach mm-hmm. to um, trying to homogenize a voice to the point that the bottom is not allowed to have a different character from the top and yeah. I think that's one of the concerns you know in in this absolute homogenization homogenization where you're taking some kind of mix way way low down like mm-hmm. down you know to to middle c and even lower uh, mm. and you get just a fog yeah i mean yeah. i cannot tell you i mean i'm, sp- I'm speaking obviously in a context context of, of the classical singing I, there's nothing more woeful than like a suicidio from Joconda. <laughs> Yeah. With no chest on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Or anything that Puccini wrote with no chest on the bottom. It, it's silly, and it sounds d- doleful. It's just awful. Yeah. I mean, that's a pejorative judgment. But yeah. it just doesn't sound... Also, too, the clarity of the text is, has been just completely obliterated. Because yeah. you can't understand what they're saying anymore. Right. Yeah. They're like, It's like, what? Huh? Yeah. And I always tell people, I don't always tell people, but I always remind myself that the people who were studied in the Renaissance when they were building all these ideas about the singing world were all like field people and fishmongers and like <laughs> people from the lower classes who had these preserved natural voices. 
those are the people that the camarada came in and was like, we want to study you because your voice is crazy free and we just want to see what you do. I mean, the Italian fishmongers, hello. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, the freedom and the ability of them to have these musical open voices singing, you know, these were the people that they used as their models. So they weren't going, oh, hello, Marcello, you know, <laughs> like it was yeah. all about that. I mean, even my favorite Marilla Freni, she wasn't afraid of no chest voice. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. no matter what she where she was in her career. So, yeah, this I don't know. I, I have ideas about this. Can I share my I mean, no, we're 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 jumping into the weeds here. But I, I wonder if this doesn't have to do with Victorian as Camille Paglia says prim Victorian society which had a particular view of how women should be in the, in the social sphere. And so, you know, any display of vulgarity of the chest register was to be forbidden because of Port of prurient Victorian mo- mores of social etiquette. Yeah, I've and seen And I wonder chest. if that's not part of that. Yeah. I, I, I know, I can't cite chapter and verse, but I know I have occasionally seen some older writings that talk about chest voice and, and it being vulgar and, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, you, you risk vulgarity if you use right. it, you know. Which is, to me, an indictment of femininity, truly. I mean, it's to say that women shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, mm-mm, boo-boo, because the Italian women did. All of yeah. those great Italian sopranos did. Yeah. But, again, that could be also a cultural uh, uh, bigotry, right? Right. Like, if you're an, if, uh, an austere, particular Victorian, and then you see an Italian who's more free and, you know, more well, socially vocal, it's like, oh, those ruffians, you know. This particular item on the Witherspoon list said soprano, but, you know, in classical circles, uh, the term English tenor is a pejorative mm. because that's what pe- how people refer to, to uh, light tenors with no core to their voice. You know, and that it's the same thing where where the most some of the guys I can think of who fit that description mm-hmm. definitely could d- could uh, invest in some uh, more chest voice development, mm-hmm. which would w- w- which would help the whole voice have more color. But Core. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a thing with some tenors, too. Yeah, oh, sure. That, that uh, you know, it's all about the high notes. And so they think those have to be emphasized in practice way more and and they don't some people don't even just just don't know what to do with the lower notes and it's it's very interesting um i would say until you have both i mean here i am editorializing yeah until you have both of those things going on the bottom and the top you really don't know the classification of the voice oh right yeah you know i mean really you can't you can't make a determination because that's the thing the girls come in with a with the chest and they're like i'm an alto yeah uh that may it may not be true yeah. So until you get the whole thing going, you you can't you can't put a co- you can't codify the fog right. until that thing is free. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's right. move along. Yeah. That was the first one. That was number eleven. Yeah. Okay. So number twelve. You want me to do number twelve? Yeah. Please. Okay. The use of descending scales as the principal exercises so that head voice will be developed. This in time weakens the fundamental of tone and does not develop the lower tones. Common sense would dictate the use of both ascending and descending scales for the attainment of an even scale. I love this. Oh, I dare say this is just a continuation. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) We're we're already on it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an important point. I mean, I think, uh, see if you you agree with me, but but, uh, he does say the use of descending scales so that head voice will be developed. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, I think Mm -hmm. that that does that. That's good for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. and but bottom up um, is really important too, uh, for for uh, uh, 
you know, it has to go both directions. It has to go. You have to do bottom up exercises and mm -hmm. top down exercises. And, and uh, you, you won't reach the voice's full potential if you don't go both ways. And I remember I'm thinking of one student I had. She had a fabulous belt voice. She was a hoofer, a really good mm -hmm. dancer. Uh, and she was a really good belter. And so we worked a lot on top down to get a better mix going because she didn't mm -hmm. have a great mix. But you still have to let the fat voice do its thing. Don't ignore the bottom up. You know, keep it in shape. You know, don't yeah. denigrate it. Because that's another thing. If a voice has a naturally powerful area, you don't want to abandon it. You want you want to work on what's weaker and, and bring it together. But But you want to also... I don't know. I, tr I I like to turn bugs into features, I guess. Oh, I like so, that. <laughs> so if someone has an amazing belt, I want to still hear some belt. And I want to say, yeah. man, you do that really well. That comes really easily for you. That's great. Uh, and then, then you go on to the other thing. Um, can't have all just one thing. Uh, even if it seems like the voice is so imbalanced, it only needs one thing. I, you don't want to deny uh, the voice that's there, I feel. Oh, I totally that agree. took a philosophical turn. No, 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 I love it. But anyways. I, uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. I think it's great. And, you know, again, coming, bringing this kind of back to a, a historical concept, this is kind of coming back to Garcia Jr. When mm -hmm. uh, poor, poor little Garcia, you know, <laughs> he was trained by his dad who was a little bit of a, um, a taskmaster. I don't think he was a, much of a gentleman. I think he actually got into some lawsuits and things with different theaters in uh, Europe because of his particular personality. But anyway, uh, we know from historical records that he was a taskmaster when it came to training voices. And, you know, Garcia Jr. always described his training as monotonous and irksome. And my favorite little quote is that he said, uh, this is from uh, coming from uh, McInlay's book on Garcia, uh, the monotony of the first portion of this training evidently became very wearisome in time, for Senor Garcia would afterwards recall how one day, after being made to sing an endless variety of ascending scales, his desire for a change became so great that he could not resist bursting out, oh dear, mayn't I sing down the scale even once? The training of those days was indeed a hard one, but it turned out artists who had very wonderful command over their voices. So <laughs> I just cracked up at that because poor Garcia was saying, can't I sing down, right? <laughs> like all of these ascending scales, which uh -huh. obviously we know functionally from a perspective. I mean, going up the scale is going to do a thing. Yeah. And going down the scale is going to do a different thing. Yeah. Vocally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whether or not, whatever your pedagogy is, you know, that we just physically know that's true. Um, so... You know what? Sidebar, but no, totally, totally related, uh, but, but it is a sidebar, is that some exercises, you know, we have this thing. I mean, I know with my teachers and my experience and even in my own teaching, almost every exercise I do starts in a place, goes up and then down. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they should just go up. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes an exercise okay. should just go bum, 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 da, 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 because that is a... Musical gesture we're actually right, going right. to have to do. <laughs> right. That's what you're saying. I was like, it does, it happens in music. And, and, so, it, and yeah. it has value. And the idea of we always go up and then we come down and then we go up and then we come down. Come down. It, right. You know, it's, it, we get stuck in, in ruts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's a brilliant concept. End of sidebar. No, that's good. A good sidebar. I like it. Up and down. Again, balance, yeah. right? The middle yeah. way. The Buddhist middle way. I mean, if you're going to go up, go down. Yeah. Just be cautious with what you're doing and, and the apportionment of, of direction, I guess. Yeah. 
I let him let him sing down the scale, Brian. <laughs> let him let poor Manuel sing down the scale. Poor yeah. Manny. Poor Manny. Uh, he could have been on a boat. It's all right. He 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 almost was a sailor. We almost we almost lost him to vocal pedagogy. <laughs> Anywho's yeah. So see, number down. Th- thirteen yeah. here. Let's see. Oh, this is this is good because it's cryptic. I don't really understand it, so we have to discuss it. Okay. Number thirteen is take a deep breath, close the mouth, and sing the word "come" without opening the mouth. Mm. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Everyone out there should try it. So deep mm. breath, close the mouth. Well, one thing it does, one interesting thing. Brian, the it original does, semi-occlusion, Brian. It's right here. Well, yeah, and, and I'm Eep. thinking that how it, how you cannot do a hard cuss sound with the mouth closed. It becomes something much, much, much it's like gentler. a mouth fart. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a, a like those click languages. Right. But I still don't know the point. <laughs> I, I don't either. I'm like, I, that is definitely a fad. That but, must be a fad. Right, right. It must, so, so it may very well have been a fad among some teachers in the 1920s. And it, if anyone, if any of our listeners know what that's about or yeah, can us tell know. us more, please, please let us know. Yeah, shoot us a Go, go to uh, thevoiceculture.com and, and fill out that their contact form, which, yeah, we, by we the way, know. we have enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead and do number 14. Okay, number 14. Here is a formula. The body brain sends a message to the singing brain, and the articulator answers it. Wow, that's some mystical stuff right there. Ooh, the body brain the sends body a brain message to the, the singing, singing brain. brain. An articulator. Wow, that... that oh. We're getting into some neuroplasticity here, Brian. We are. <laughs> and and very interesting about body brain sends a message. So so what is the singing brain? I guess... Uh, articulate. So... Well, let's let's talk about this is a thing that Cornelius Reed gets into. Mm-hmm. What is the impetus, the motivation, mm. the how does singing start? Singing start. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're moved to sing a phrase. What brain is doing that? Mm. Uh now you're going into the realm of psychology and mental Yeah. Brain use of the brain. Yeah, I think this body brain, singing brain, that's really interesting. And this says, and the articulator answers it. I mean, and, that, and then I kind of go, oh, because that's <laughs> kind of a drag after all that, like, right, fascinating. But let's let's parse this again as applicators to p- yeah. personal pedagogical applicators. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like something you buy at the Ooh, store. Yeah, right. For I need to go get a pedagogical applicator, please. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I have this condition. Yeah. I'm out of pedagogical applicators. Can you get one? Oh, oh my god. No, oh, we're gonna get banned. Okay, mm. um, no, but the idea of a person who's looking to use a practical pedagogy, telling a student this, what what would be the benefit? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, right. what would be the benefit? That's our argument. What would be the benefit of telling a student this? Yeah, the body brains and semester to the singing brain, and the articulator answers it. That's yeah. very fancy. It's, again, it's a fancy. You know what? I, fancy. It's very Perfect. fanciful. Because I was just thinking, that I have things, little things that sometimes I'll tell myself while I'm practicing. Uh, little personal reminders, you know, so I've tasted my olive and I know that to get that <laughs> olive back, I need to get myself in a certain frame of mind. And I may say, I may suggest to myself something so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we make a mistake if we think th- that that is going to work for everyone else. Ooh. 
<laughs> You're arguing for your own personal imagery then, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Th- right. Right. That's mm-hmm. kind of what this sounds Not like. Not mine, but yours, yeah. which is great. But again, that's the idea. Get the person to taste the olive, but then let them conceptualize and, and talk about it. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, the olive tastes like blah, blah, blah. Better than you talking about it. Yeah. Better than you sitting there going, well, an olive comes from Italy and they're usually, who cares? Yeah. Give them yeah. the olive. But then all of the, it's like a pink cloud or it's like a ribbon coming out of your nose or it's like a, a rolling, uh, spinning wheel in front of your face. I mean, oh, yeah. 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 Flo- float the little plastic ball on the jet of water squirting out of the top of your head. Thank you, Joan Sutherland. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wow. You know, I, I just can't. <laughs> I know. You're like, oh, that's an image. Yeah, yeah, but then you're like, that's an image. I oh, don't believe okay. I've ever experienced a jet of water <laughs> squirting out of the top of my head. Now that you mention it. I'm dead. Yeah. No, it's like, oh, the things, the things, uh, the things that people say. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. boy. So that's a fancy. And yeah. I would say fancy in the term in the sense of fanciful. Yeah. Right. Because we would have to talk to we'd have to talk to somebody who had an expertise in brain work, Brian, to really yeah. dive into that to yeah. say, well, here's how the brain works when singing. Because they're doing they're doing studies on that. Sure. You yeah. Know, somebody somewhere is is researching that whole. Oh thing. yeah. Yeah. All you, right. There's nothing they they won't research. Oh. <laughs> gotta okay. Keep, gotta, keep, gotta keep that money going. All right. Yeah. Number fifteen. Number fifteen is take a deep breath. Perceive that the larynx rises. Sing without letting the larynx fall. This gives the correct pinch of the glottis. Ooh. Whee! I can only imagine wow. what that sounds like. Wow. Take it. Okay, so here's the funny part. Take a deep breath, which we know tracheal pull is a thing. Yeah, I mean, right. right? So larynx gonna... rises. <laughs> that brings up some questions. I mean, under what conditions would the larynx rise when you take a breath? I have a theory or two. Oh, go for it. Well, I wonder if... You're heavily corseted. Will the oh. will taking a breath make the larynx do something different? Because can the tracheal pull happen if there's a counter force from the bottom pushing everything up? Mm. Uh, or in? I mean, I'm just wondering. I'd also be curious to hear a high larynx being breathed through. What that would sound like? Would there be breathiness in it? <sighs> Well, I play right? with, I actually I play with that. I mean, generally you'll hear a higher pitch of the rush of air will have a higher pitch. Mm-hmm. And then the lower the larynx is, the lower the pitch. Mm-hmm. And then under certain conditions where the larynx is low and relaxed, you hear no sound practically. Right. Um, wow, that's really interesting. Pinch of the glottis, though, to me, that's all, almost a whole separate thing. Like, I remember right. um, there's a clip on YouTube that people refer to that is a, like, it's uh, supposed to be, it's a, let's see, I think it's Sutherland Pavarotti, uh, Horn. Marilyn Horn, and yeah. Bonning, uh, Richard Bonning. Bonning, right, yeah. talking about bel canto singing. Mm-hmm. And and they weigh in with what they think it is technically, and it makes no sense to me. But m- maybe I'm stupid. But the, uh, You just but, don't have the inside of the bel canto, Brian. I don't. I just, my, I, it's I, rev- I, the, the, the revelation hasn't come yet. Maybe I just can't <laughs> count bellow. But the... Uh, Pavarotti talks about something like a pinch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's in that video. Uh-oh. I think it might be, but he talks, I know, or in a master class. But he talks about what he's kind of getting at is I squeeze in my throat. Yeah, I, I, I say that in Italian. I squeeze <coughs> in my throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, and I think what he's getting at, I hope what he's getting at, because he exemplified it, was uh, really efficient use of air. All the air turned into sound. No loose phonation. Right. Uh, so I think that's what he was getting at. And I don't maybe... know if this is apocryphal, but I tell my own I tell my own students when when my male uh, high voices sing up into the top of the voice and they feel that balance of, of sound, I jokingly say to them. And I, this could be an apocryphal story here, but I tell them that Pavarotti used to say that his high notes were what he described as a little boy screaming in a cave. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> because there's that sense of the vocal folds being sort of small, right? Because the, the, the stretch yeah. is such uh, to a degree, but it doesn't feel like a big sensation as it one would have maybe in the lower part of the voice. But the resonance around such a... Uh, arrangement of the of the glottis is profound in its resonance, so yeah. it has this big feeling to it. Yeah. So it's like a little boy in a cave. Scre- mm-hmm. I just think that's a great image. Talk I about imagery. Too. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. But I, there's so many factors at play in this in this quote that I'm like, okay, the breath has to be deep, but the larynx has to be high, and the vocal, you know, and the. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. okay, so hold on here, uh, you know, and then por- par- parsing this out as a student. In a lesson, if you heard someone say this, you're like, oh, okay. I can only imagine the sort of, again, the thing we talk about, direct control, right? We just, this pinge is right into that. You yeah. Know, manipulate something someplace, and, you know, which I'm against completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems to be that's what he's sort of wanting to, to do. You know, get the larynx up. Don't let it fall. Uh, there's just a very much a, a, a mechanistic approach here. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there, yeah, we can hardly say that keep your larynx low is any better advice because it's right. it's trying to volitionally control something mm-hmm. leave it mechanically alone. that yeah even garcia said leave it alone i mean i tell Gar- that garcia thing all the time he's like leave it alone yeah leave the larynx alone leave it alone yeah is garcia said it it's good enough for me hey yo cool. <laughs> talk about being a dogmatic person brian hello <laughs> uh, yeah and the pinch of the glottis has been argued for you know we still argue about that. Yeah, because, oh boy, yeah, you get into the whole, like I'm aware, someone may, may try to correct us about this. I mean, it could, some people, I think, conceive of that as approximation of the folds. Mm-hmm. Other people will throw in that maybe it's the uh, narrowing of the areopiglottic sphincter. Sphincter. Mm-hmm. Oy. Uh, right. But that, that, you know, which is another way of saying shaping the space above the folds a mm-hmm. certain way. Um, but yeah, wow. Well, there's let's. A, there's oh, a, speaking saying, of, there's a lot going on. Okay. Yeah. Well, Talking speaking about of mechanistic, go, yeah. let's go on to the next one because okay. I think we're there again. Appro- okay, so this is number sixteen. <clears throat> Approximate the vocal cords two or three times and then sing. And then in parentheses, he says, "Of course, a manifest impossibility." So we'd have to parse this out here. Oh yeah. So, so par- uh, you know, uh, okay. So approximate the vocal cords two or three times and then sing. Okay. I don't can, I mean, how? Okay, I'm trying. Well, to think, okay, that that's the thing is I think a person can do things that they think cause the folds to be approximated. Right. Like if you feel an action in your throat, uh-huh. like I'm going to get really like like perversely close to the mic here. But if ASMR, you ASMR, Brian, ASMR. Oh God, I hate that. Like <laughs> if you if you make a sound like like like, well, Garcia called. He thought. Coup de glotte was the beginning of a cough. So, uh, uh, uh. But I'm not sure if when we do that, what I'm feeling, I think, is actually stuff around and above the folds 
Because oh. I think if the folds themselves come together, I don't really think I'm feeling it. Because when mm. I start a sound with a thought, ah, 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 mm. I don't feel my folds coming together, but they came together or the right. sound would not be made. So, right. so when we try to feel the chords coming together, I think we're recruiting a whole bunch of other stuff so we feel something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you th- does that I make think sense? That's, I think that makes sense to me. I mean, first of all, approximate the vocal chords. Do you get a sound from that? That's my question. <laughs> like, right. for example, I mean, I can't approximate my chords without going, huh. Uh, yeah, so you huh, have to. Yeah, uh, huh. so there's sound there. You have to release so, either air or something. Right. So if I just don't make sound, am I going? I mean, I guess I can feel that I'm closing my vocal cords. Yeah, I'm. I'm just not sure if I feel it or not. And then well, sing, and then I guess what they're trying to get to is more vocal cord closure. I think so. That's what. So I'm if guessing. he says a manifest impossibility, I would put I would put that into a question mark there. Uh huh. That he could say that we can't approximate. The vocal cords two or three times. Right. I, so I I think so. I like to do it with sounds. I mean, I mm. work on onsets with people a yep. lot, and Same. so I'll, I'll you know like let's say like I had I had a student today who's very prone to glottal onsets, like strong mm. glottals, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I will do this exercise in one order or the other depending on if the person's a breathy or glottal mm, tendency. So mm. I'll do things like ah ha ah. Uh, so they have a sense of contrast, air uh-huh. before sound, sound before air, sound, uh, you know, uh, too much closure before yeah, yeah, yeah. we see evidenced in ah, uh, right. When the sound, when it, the sound starts that way, then that's the evidence that the chords mm-hmm. were too closed. But I can't say I can picture how closed they were, or what that looks like, or, you know, it's only yeah. by the intention <laughs> to make that glottal sound. I know that that's a glottal thing. And, it, and we, Eventually, you make the connection, but yeah, and I, I'll use the word every orange. Yeah, you know, yeah, or awesome, yeah, awesome. So they uh-huh. feel, oh, yeah, that does, yeah, that's so, and like that's your vocal cords closing. Yeah, awesome, every orange, unless they go every orange, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that's not what I said, <laughs> Titus. Don't do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, when he puts in parentheses there, of course, a manifest impossibility. I would argue with that because I think we can do that. But I just don't know where that – I don't have yeah. the context on that one. Right. How, parse that out. how the people he was criticizing were trying to do that. He must yeah. have – He must have seen that somewhere Yeah. in his life as a singer. So. Well, here's another thing that happens. We get someone from an, you know, who has been in another studio, comes to us for a first lesson – and they explained to us an exercise they learned. Yes. We, uh, I've learned you can't be sure that that's what the teacher really intended. Always that, true. There's amazing interpretations. Did they understand the gospel the way the Lord intended? Because, <laughs> right. Because there's things I've asked them to do that they give back to me in a really strange mm-hmm. form. And I'm like, oh, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. That's not what mm-hmm. I meant. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, if they come in and they say to you, um, oh, my teacher told me to take a deep breath and perceive that my larynx is really high and then sing without letting my larynx fall. And that helps me with my pinch of my glottis. And you're like, oh, really? No, does it? Okay. Okay. Let's go with that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You've got mm. that down. Let's set that aside. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can do that really well. Let's see what else we can get out of the equipment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So true, though. So true. Oh, it's interesting. The, the first 10 that we did in that other episode uh-huh. were sort of more about principles these a lot of these are some real specific fads yes. and fancies which yes. i love because we get a picture yeah. into yeah how how some of the crazier stuff was happening yes, back yes. in his day and we have equivalents 
We have so many oh equivalents my goodness, now. Yes. Let's see, number seventeen, mm-hmm. I believe we're at. Um, yep. Put a feather upon the floor in front of the pupil, then let him stoop over and pick up the feather as he sings the high tones desired. Hmm. So I don't do. I gotta. I gotta out myself here. <laughs> I don't do a feather on the floor, but I oftentimes will have students bend at the waist over for as a, in a high ascending scale. I do too. So yeah. Sorry, Herb. <laughs> right. I wonder feather, but I wonder. I mean, I Dumbo's mean, why feather? feather. Why not? Yeah, there you go. Dumbo's feather. There I can fly to high sea. You C. can fly. I can do it. <laughs> I mean, I. I don't have science on this, but I think it's a psychological help to have students bend over for a high note as it goes up. Oh yeah, because it it we haven't we want to entrain them one not to think about a lift or a raising up of the body for yeah, high notes, right? You know, reaching for high notes. Yep. So bending over, I I have theory. I don't know if it's true. I'm not a scientist. They bend over, and the alignment, of course, of the body changes. And yeah. So everything positionally is different in the voice. Yeah. And so there's a different kinesthetic sense of where things are at where yeah. parts are at yeah and it could even be that the gravity has a chance to sort of arrange things in a different way that allows maybe more stretch on the cricothyroid i don't have any science on that yeah. at all yeah but you know um something that would allow the vocal folds to stretch more or at least even to change the relationship of the pressure stream against the glottis and having someone bend over which might lessen the maybe lessens the airflow. I have used that with a lot of success. I have to be honest, and I know that that's an exercise that Seth Riggs used to uh, use a lot of. He would have students do semi occluded exercises and then have them bend at the waist for the top notes as they would go up into that octave and a half scale. So they would bend over. So as again to sort of break them of the idea of, uh, according to him, reaching for high notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in, in that in that particular regard. As a practice for again to facilitate a different sensation, I'm all about it. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry if I risk the I risk the wrath of Herbert Witherspoon. Well, and it it could well be he's he maybe part of what he's getting at here too is that um, regardless of if there's a good principle behind it, don't think that these are magic. Right. You know that this specific action is is magical. Right. Wow. Okay. He, you know, he could have been. One. He could have just been more. Well, I'm not going to say puritan, but he could have been more st- steadfast about. You know, yeah. don't f- do funny things. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't know. So. Yeah. Hmm. No, this next one is really uh, a doozy. You know, oh, okay. Is this yours or mine? Yeah, uh, yours. You're doing oh, even today. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cause the cheeks to become hollow from without inwards. Okay. So what? Bring them inside. Pout the lips oh. out. Oh, part as far out as possible in trumpet formation. This will add to the resonance of the voice, as the space between the teeth and the lips is the real resonator. <laughs> mm. Well, the acoustic science we know today would like a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Insofar as tube shapes, right? Uh, we we do know acoustically that what longer tubes have lower, darker sound, and shorter tubes have brighter sound yeah thinner sound i guess you could say yeah so he's trying to put everything into the from the teeth to the lips but even hollowing the cheeks i'm like that's interesting huh that's like a fish lippy kind of thing right yeah fish lips i i mean there are parts of this but both of these parts of it 
Well, the, there's three parts. The hollow cheek, pout the lips out, mm-hmm. and space between the teeth and lips. That's interesting. I've, I've, I have heard modern teachers do each of these things mm-hmm. at certain times. I mean, definitely trumpet. That's that's yeah. for real. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I was, I'm like, it makes me think of like the, you know, the, the oh, overtone singers, right? Yeah, overtone, right. Right. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. That's great in opera. <laughs> right, right. I love it. Or yeah. anything else for that matter. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I don't know how to like, think that's, that's an interesting concept. concept yeah. Logical. Yeah. But telling someone that's the real resonator, that's kind of funny. Right. I mean, how many times, how many times in pedagogy have we read texts that are like, this is the real resonator of your voice? Your oh, nasal, yeah. Your, i.e., your nasal resonance. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Your nasal resonance. Um, mm-hmm. It's a set thing. It's not adjustable. The nose is not adjustable. Yeah. Unless you go to a doctor in Hollywood. <laughs> Which I'm not above, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to say never. Sweeten me no, up. Give me no. a little Botox. Right. I'm ready. Right. Give it, give it to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, eventually. If you do a little bit at a time, I've heard if you do a little bit at a time, it doesn't look too bad as you collect it as you go. Uh-huh. You know, a little bit. So then you don't look right. like a, a patchwork quilt. Yeah. You, you can, like, do it really well. So, like, you know, you look really great. I know people in their 20s that are doing it, you know, getting Botox. Wow. To start that whole thing. The real resonator, Brian. Anywho. <laughs> yes. Number 19, it's oh, all you. Wow. 19 is the most verbose. And this, yep. is, this is so cool. Okay. Number 19. Lie crosswise on your bed. Let the arms hang down on one side and your feet on the other until the body feels well stretched. Extend the arms in the shape of a cross. Let the mouth open by letting the head fall down instead of lowering the jaw. Sing, ah, this will send the voice in the head. Take the strain off the throat. Widen the chest. Mm. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. So, so is it the idea like, okay, let's say you're lying on the bed and you scoot to the edge so that like your head tips back over the edge mm-hmm. a little? Is mm-hmm. that the yep. idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, like, yeah. you're basically, instead of laying like you would normally lay in a bed, yeah. like up to down, you, you go east, you go um, north, yeah. south, you go east, west. Let the mouth open. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, there's parts of this that I've seen suggested for people before. Um, you know, I've, I've certainly seen the idea of, lifting your head off your jaw instead of dropping your jaw jaw down Mm -hmm. and that's interesting i mean what i just said there's there's a case to be made for some of that like when especially you're saying very high and very loud on an open vowel sometimes you simply run out of room Mm. you can't drop your jaw any further Oh yeah, you know there's a there's a limit because otherwise you're going to have that tucked head thing that oh, that has yeah. all kinds of other woofy problems. The, the Joan Sutherland head tilt, the flip top head we used to call it. In the yes, yes, like the, the flip top head, the the, the Pez dispenser yes. soprano. Yeah. Yes, yeah, or mezzo, or mezzo, <laughs> or contralto. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, the, the head just goes straight on back. I'm like, woo, girl, get your life. Oh, interesting. This will. But you know, I, I, in reading Kari's book, that's one of the things. That one of her her exercises at the beginning for sort of a warm up is to have students lay over a ball. But I think that's in the context of just letting them sort of come into the room and like chill out for a second, you know, mm-hmm. to sort of let everything lengthen and widen. Which I'm, I think that's great. Well, the second sentence of this: let the arms hang down on one side, your feet on the other, until the body feels well stretched. 
that feeling of opening. Yeah, it's great. Can, can, can be really useful. Sure. That part of it. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah. The, I just wonder if, I mean. How are you going to get a bed in a voice studio? I'm just <laughs> thinking that. I think this begs a whole sexual lot of questions about boundaries. Yeah, I'm like sexual harassment. <laughs> panda. Oh, right. <laughs> I just saw that episode. Oh, my God. Oh, got to call the sexual harassment panda. Like, why do you have a bed in your voice studio, Herbert Witherspoon? Oh, he didn't have a bed in the studio, but kind of funny. On your bed. Oh, let's get it right, Brian. Number 19. Like, like crossway, it is on oh, your on bed. Your, okay. Okay, clarity. We, we, yeah. we, we avoided a lawsuit here. Yeah. We avoided a lawsuit. Okay. Phew. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes. So I think there's merit in that, in a way. I mean, in the I don't have a ball in my studio, but uh, you know, um, some people use it to facilitate again a stretch or a relaxation of the body mm-hmm. and let people sing on the ball. And via con dios, like great, yeah. You know, uh, you know, chacun a son goût. <laughs> yeah. And then we have our twentieth one here. All right, drum roll, please. Field. <laughs> Feel tired so as to get relaxation. Yeah, relaxation. That's such a loaded word. Oy, oy, with oy. A, such a, an athletic activity as singing. I mean, I feel it's an athletic activity. It's certainly... I mean, there's a book on it called Vocal Athlete, so... <laughs> <laughs> Someone else thought so, yeah. I mean, somebody else, some really other smart people thought so too. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't like relaxation. I like coordination, Brian. Yeah. You know, we're not working to relax things. No one who ever works at a high level of efficiency in a, in a skill would probably say that they are relaxed. Yeah. Like the gymnast or the runner or, I don't know, the chef who's making dinner. Is he going, I'm so relaxed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, or the ballerina. Is the ballerina relaxed? Yeah, I want to dance Swan Lake, you guys. I'm so it's it's my it's my therapy. It's my self care to dance Swan Lake. When I was young, I did have teachers who used the word relax a lot, and it was so frustrating. Oh God, so frustrating because there were certain energies I did not have. There were pl- ways I was really not not energetic enough. Mm. Uh, but there were certainly what I, I learned later from Cornelius Reed to call interfering tensions. I really mm. like that term, even though it's kind of wordy interfering tensions so he 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 said like we were talking before um before the session i think about the word tension isn't inherently bad at all right i mean a muscle that's engaged yeah Yeah. it's under tension and so but there's interfering tensions if something is 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 participating that doesn't need to be um it can reduce the function of a system sure so um, hijack it really? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the the uh, the objective. Well, the yeah, the object here is to reach for maximum coordination so that nothing yeah. in the system is overfunctional, hyperfunctional, right? Yeah, or hypofunctional. And when things are hyperfunctional, yeah, they it feels effortful. But telling a student to relax a hyperfunctional function, yeah doesn't give them a means whereby they can f- 
fix what's causing the hyperfunctional function. I sound yeah. like a TV show. <laughs> hyperfunctional function. What's your function? Schoolhouse Rock up in here. Oh, yeah. 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 So I don't like relaxation unless it's a psychological relaxation. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, let's calm down. Like, or or, let's, or you know, I, th- I could see it as a basis from which to begin to re-energize. Like, yes. like, if a, like it, for example, you come in from a day job where maybe you're at a computer yes. all day yes. and then you drive in a car 40 minutes to get mm-hmm. to your lesson. So your, your body has certain uh, position and contractions uh-huh. that, you know. You've accumulated some stuff. You've accumulated some stuff. So sometimes yeah, yeah. to let it go first. And then bring the energy back in. And I think that's what the ball is when, with Kari's book, that uh-huh. uh, the using the ball. Yeah. Where, where I um, worked with um, Michael Hanko. Oh, yeah. In New York City. I know yeah. I don't like to name drop. I hate name dropping. I took a lesson but, with him mm, once. It was very interesting. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. But um, one of the things that he said, and I, it might have been something that, his, that Donna Reed said, mm-hmm. which was giving students enough time at the beginning of the lesson to get the New York off of them. Yes. Because they would come into the studio and just be like, you know, subway, uh, subway tension, life, some old lady did this, you got yelled at, someone cat called you, you just come in with all of that. Oh, yeah. And you need that moment to just, quote unquote, get the New York off of you. (laughs) I love that. That's well put. I love that. Yes. But, um, and I think that's what Kari's little ball exercise is for, when she has students lay over that ball. It's really just a a transition from, Mm -hmm. okay, that's the world that you were just in outside. Mm -hmm. Now let's come into this higher awareness of ourselves and our bodies and all of that. So, yeah. Cool. But, but tired, I don't, that's not a benefit, I don't think. I don't think anybody's like, I'm so tired. I'll go to sing, I'm going to go sing Di Valcura tonight. I'm I'm so tired. Right. No dramatic. My friends, my friends that are dramatic soprano, my my dramatic soprano friend at the Metropolitan. I don't think she'd say, "I'm so relaxed when I'm singing Brunhilde." She'll be like, "Oh, we're working, girl. We're working." <laughs> oh, right, right. You know, yeah. yeah. Some effort is required. Some effort. Re- yes, batteries are not included. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, cool. That, that was well, that's, great. That's, that's a, a neat list. Yeah. That's a let's see. There's a bunch more of these, aren't there? Aren't there like, oh, something yeah. like fifty of them or something? Uh, it's there a large are number. F- yeah, fifty-two. Oh, cool, good. Well, some some t- time in the future, we'll we'll uh, do this again because yeah. it's it's really interesting to talk about another teacher's pet peeves for a change. Right, uh, not ours. <laughs> right, not our. Yeah, or yeah. or even even to capture the zeitgeist of voice training. Yeah. Right? right. Sort of like a, a a view into what were what were people laughing at or or thinking was silly, right? Or funny in 1925. Yeah. Nearly a hundred years ago. Thank you. Golly, it's crazy. Wow. I know, yeah. nutty. It's nutty. Yeah. Amazing. Anywho, well, I don't think he nice. likes them though. I don't think he likes them. I think he he calls them nonsense. So. Yeah. Sorry, Herbert, because I do some of these. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never die. Well, you better have a damn good reason. It's That's what I'm I say. So, yeah, I'm so relaxed. It's why. I just, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just constantly relaxed. Well, I Anywho. maybe I need to pick up a feather. Yes, bend over. <laughs> oh, Justin, why do you make it so hard to end this thing? <laughs> All right. Well, let's okay. chat soon. I'll talk to you later. Okay, later. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on The Voice Culture Podcast. 
For more information, connect with us on our website, thevoiceculture.com.